I invite you to turn with me in God's word this morning to Luke chapter 7. For our sermon text this morning, we'll be looking at the gospel according to Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. Hear now the reading of God's word. One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that your word, that Jesus Christ and his person and work would shine forth preeminently before our eyes of faith this day, and that your spirit would take this word to help us to grow in our love and understanding, to to help us recall to mind just how great your forgiveness is, and just how much we have been forgiven that we may be convicted of our sins, that we may be convicted of our forgetfulness, that we may be reminded of the glorious work of Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen. Debt. Some people feel comfortable living in debt. The average American currently is carrying about $6,000 of credit card debt at this moment. 
The average college loan debt is around $33,000. I don't know about you, but I cannot stand to be in debt. I do not want to pay extra money in the form of interest simply because at some point I had to borrow money. I don't like it. I don't want to give away money for free. I paid my college student loan off as quickly as I could, working 60 to 70 hours a week after I graduated in order to pay it off before interest started accruing. Jacqueline worked and I worked four different jobs to pay my way through seminary so I could graduate without debt, even delaying my plan and extending my time in seminary longer out. We tried a budget so as to avoid credit card debt. But there is another type of debt that none of us can escape. That is the debt of perfect righteousness that we owe to God as our creator and as our master. And this was lost to us in the fall. We are all born into this world as debtors toward the Lord God Almighty. And in our parable this morning, we're going to see the title of the sermon, The Shocking Greatness of God's Forgiveness Toward Our Debt. The Shocking Greatness of God's Forgiveness Toward Our Debt. In verses 36 through 39, we have the scene set up for us. Jesus gets invited by a Pharisee by the name of Simon to come and eat with him in his house. Now, we're not told Simon's motivation for this invitation. Perhaps Simon wanted to be highly esteemed by having this great prophet eat in his house. Perhaps Simon wanted to ask Jesus questions like the Pharisees were always wanting to do. At this point in Jesus' ministry... The Pharisees are still trying to figure out who is this Jesus. They haven't reached the point yet of being so antagonistic. And they haven't reached the point of wanting to put him to death at this point in his ministry. Interestingly, in the Gospels, each time a Pharisee invites Jesus to a meal in his house, the, the Pharisee ends up getting rebuked because of an issue that comes up during their discussion. You've got to love the irony of that. They're wanting to, to, to question Jesus. They want to figure him out. They want the, to, to be esteemed in the eyes of the people, and they end up getting rebuked time and time again. And it's apparent from our passage here that Simon has some esteem for Jesus. He calls him teacher in verse 40. And until we get to Simon's thoughts in verse 39, it seems that Simon at least up until this point, agrees with the crowds that Jesus is at the least a prophet. So Simon, as a Pharisee here in this scene, comes across as he's curious, but there's also a little bit of skepticism about Jesus. Now, in contrast to Simon, an unnamed woman comes from the city to this meal table, it seems likely that this was some special meal, perhaps during a, a Jewish feast, perhaps on the Sabbath. And during meals on these special feasts or on the Sabbath, the doors would be left open so that uninvited guests could come and enter into the home and hear the conversation that was being uh, carried on and perhaps even snatch a few leftovers. This woman comes and her actions cause quite a disruption 
because of her reputation. Look at how she's described in verse 37. Behold, Luke is drawing our attention here. This is a word to say, stop, slow down, and really focus on what's going on here. A woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. She's called a sinner here two times. Look down at verse 39. Simon says to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who or what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So the Pharisee calls her a sinner. Luke describes her as a sinner. It's most likely that this woman was a prostitute, or at least known for her sexual immorality and promiscuity, and so her reputation preceded her. She was well known amongst the town. And Luke is very careful to describe her actions in detail. She, she's crying. She's overwhelmed with so much emotion. So profusely that she begins to wet his feet with her tears. The, the word wet and weeping here is used to describe rain showers. There's a torrent of tears coming down and showering Jesus' feet. And that's not, why she came, that's not what she came to do. And so she gets down at his feet and she wipes the tears off of Jesus' feet with her own hair. She lets her hair down, which was a sign of, of intimacy it, for, for prostitutes. It was a sign of, why don't you come into my house? She lets her hair down and, and she wipes the tears away with her head so she can do what she came to do. She kissed his feet and she anointed them with the ointment. Her intent was always to anoint Jesus' feet with the ointment, but she's so overcome, she accidentally wets his feet, so she has to wipe them away before she can put the ointment on them. And she kisses his feet. This, this word for kissed is the same word used for when the, the father kissed the return of his prodigal son. It's, it's the same word used when the elders of, of Ephesus at Paul's departure, they fell upon Paul and they kissed him. It's the kiss of one who's overwhelmed by love. It's a sign of reverence and deep thankfulness. So for this woman, this is a very emotional scene. She's humbling herself before Jesus and showing her devotion to Jesus by her actions. This sinful woman has, has heard of Jesus. She's heard Jesus' teachings, which has caused her to think about spiritual matters and from all appearances it seems that her heart has already been changed by faith and these emotions and these actions are an expression of a changed heart but notice simon's reaction in verse 39 what would you think what would you expect a pharisee to do get away from him woman he's my guest he doesn't rebuke the woman he begins to scoff at Jesus. He begins to scoff at Jesus, his guest that he's showing hospitality to. Verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. 
You can hear the pride in Simon's thoughts. She is a sinner and I am not. What do you mean by letting this woman touch you who's not even worthy to touch me, a, a Pharisee? I am holy and set apart. You as a prophet are holy and set apart. What do you mean? How dare you let a sinner touch you? You must not really be a prophet after all. I've been wrong about you. I've, I've had it all wrong. And the people in the crowds must be wrong about you as well. Jesus takes this opportunity to teach Simon a lesson in the form of a parable, which we see in verses 40 through 43. Jesus knows Simon's thoughts, so he demonstrates that he is truly a prophet because he knows what Simon is thinking to himself. Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more. Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. We have three main characters in this short parable. You have a money lender, a banker, if you will, and there are two people who owe money of differing amounts to this banker, to this money lender. 500 denarii, which equaled a year and a half's wages. Okay, If, if a person was, was paid one denarius, for a day's wage, for, for working in the field or whatever their, their labor was, they were paid one silver coin for one day of work. So 500 denarii equaled roughly a year and a half's wages. And another person owes 50 denarii. So about two months wages for a common laborer. These are, these are middle class people, okay? Uh, the upper society of Rome made anywhere from 2,500 to 150,000 denarii a year. So these are, are middle to lower class common day laborers. And one person is in debt to this moneylender 10 times more than this other person who is in debt to the same moneylender. But amazingly, when neither of them could pay their debt, what does the banker do? What would you expect a banker to do? I'm sorry, Mr. Loan Officer, who works for Bank of America or, or URA Bank or Fifth Third or wherever you may have your mortgage. I, I can't pay my mortgage off anymore. Okay, well, we'll just take your house. You can't pay it. Back then, they would take their belongings in order to pay off their debt or, or throw them into debtor's prison if they did not have anything or, or take them on as an indentured servant so that they could work to pay off their debt. But look at verse 42. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Here's the twist. Here's the twist. He cancels both of their debts so that Neither has to repay the amount they owe. Here's a money lender who doesn't care about money. Can you imagine your bank or your mortgage companies doing something like that today? What? You can't pay off your mortgage? Oh, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just wipe your debt clean, and you can keep your house. What? <laughs> what did you just say? your first reaction would be one of shock and disbelief. You are acting strangely. This is not how normal banks act. This is not how normal 
loan companies act. But then there would also be a, a deep, profound sense of thankfulness. Oh, thank you so much. I can never repay you for what you have done in canceling my debt. Jesus puts the question this way. Which of them will love him more? Which of them will love him more? Who's going to be more thankful and more loving in their devotion at the forgiving of their debt? Simon's a Pharisee, so he's an intelligent person. He had to be intelligent to, to be a Pharisee. He answers Jesus' question correctly, but he sort of hedges his bet by, by using the word, I suppose. Simon, Simon can see, okay, Jesus is going something here. Maybe, maybe he's trying to trap me. Uh, I, I'm starting to sense that there's some ulterior motive in telling this story to me. And so Simon says, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. The one who has forgiven the larger debt, Jesus says, you have judged rightly. Your answer is correct. The one who has forgiven the larger debt is going to have a greater depth of thankfulness and loving devotion to the money lender who forgave the debt. And the principle of the parable is this. The larger the debt that is forgiven, the larger the gratitude and love. The larger the debt that is forgiven, the larger the gratitude and love. They are proportionate to one another. And then this brings us to Jesus' explanation in verses 44 through 50. Jesus basically says, okay, Simon, let's take this principle of the parable, which you've rightly discerned, and let's apply it to our situation here that's going on at this very moment. And for the first time, Jesus draws Simon's attention to the woman. They look at her for the first time. Simon may have invited Jesus into his home, but... Simon did not provide any special acts of hospitality beyond the meal. Jesus' feet would have been dusty from walking, so it was, it was courteous for a host to provide water, and then the host's servants would go and take that water and wash the feet of the guest. This woman has provided her own water, the water of her tears to wash Jesus' feet and to dry them not with a towel like Jesus did when he washed the feet of his disciples. She washes his feet with her own hair, something that's even lower than what a normal servant was expected to do. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Simon did not give Jesus the customary greeting of a, of a kiss on both cheeks. Or, but this woman has kissed Jesus' feet over and over and over again. Now at this day and age, in this culture, those who were of equal stature would have kissed each other on the cheek. But, but somebody who was inferior would have kissed the hand of their master or their teacher. Simon did not receive Jesus into his house either as a superior or as an equal. He didn't kiss him at all. This woman has showed her complete humility and appreciation by kissing the feet, not, not an ordinary place where you would kiss somebody. 
Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. It was customary to provide olive oil, which the guests could rub on their face and in their hair. They've, they've been outside in the hot sun and it's beat down on them. And so it would be refreshing and, and healing and medicating to their face and to their hair. It was also a sign of joy. Thank you so much for, for welcoming me into to your house to have this feast. And so the, the oil would brighten the face up. Simon provided no such thing. But, but this woman, she hasn't provided inexpensive olive oil. She's anointed his feet with, with expensive perfume. Expensive perfume. It's in an alabaster flask. Let me describe it this way. Simon invited Jesus into his house for food, but he did not shake Jesus' hand when Jesus entered. He did not offer to hang up his coat. He did not allow him to use his bathroom. And he did not provide something to drink while waiting for the table to be prepared. Put it in modern terms today. That is what Simon's hospitality looked like. Come in here. Conversely, the woman's hospitality looks something like this. Come in, welcome. If you need to relieve yourself, here's the bathroom. If you need to get clean, please use my shower and help yourself to the towels. And here's something to drink. All that I have, I offer it to you for you to use. The Pharisee did the bare minimum, while the sinful woman went above and beyond. Why the difference? Why the difference? Because the woman recognized the depths of her sin, and Simon did not. The woman recognized the depths of her sin, and Simon did not. Verse 47. I tell you, her sins, which are many, Jesus is again showing forth that he is a prophet. He knows her sins. He knows how many they are. And I tell you what, all of her sins, which are so many, they are forgiven. Now he's more than a prophet. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little. I'm indirectly talking about you, Simon. He who is forgiven little loves little. Simon, as was typical of the Pharisees, did not see himself as a sinner. And if you don't see yourself as a sinner, you don't need any forgiveness of sins. I have little need for forgiveness, or, or maybe my sins are so little that I can take care of them on my own. So we have irony here that Jesus uses the sinner to teach the Pharisee a lesson. And it's obvious from Jesus' explanation here that, that in the parable, the money lender represents God. And debt stands for sin. And the debtors depict different levels of sinner. We confess this as much when we confess the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In this particular case, Simon the Pharisee represents one who was forgiven little. Whereas the sinful woman represents one who was forgiven much. Her sins were great. And they've been forgiven and she, she knows that her sins have been forgiven. And so she has expressed her thankfulness, her love, and her gratitude for knowing that her sins are forgiven. 
And Jesus, when he tells her your sins are forgiven, what he is doing here is he's vindicating her actions and her deeds before the Pharisees and before the guests of Simon in the house. You've been saved by faith, he says in verse 50. Jesus confirms to her what she already knew to be true, but he also vindicates her. Her actions are not offensive, but are welcomed by God as legitimate expressions of love from a heart that has been forgiven much. And so Simon and his guests begin to murmur to themselves about who this Jesus is. Who is this who even forgives sins? He's, he's making a claim beyond simply being a prophet from God. This is a claim to be God. For God alone can forgive sins. If you are thinking that you're a good and decent person, if you're thinking that you're a fine and you don't need Christ, you are Simon. You are Simon, still in your sins, still indebted to God for payment for those sins, and you can never pay those sins off through your own efforts. Trusting in faith, having faith in faith, like the George Michael song, you just got to have faith. No. Trusting in faith will not pay off your sins. Trusting in good works will not pay off your sins. Trusting in love, trusting in being a good person will not pay off your sins. Only trusting in Christ will pay off your debts. Oh, we need to see how great our debt is, how great our sin is to an almighty and to a holy God. And then we need to see just how great God's forgiveness is to sinners like us through Jesus. It was not the actions of the woman that saved her but faith in Jesus Christ, which demonstrated itself in those actions of crying and drying and kissing and anointing. We could take this in many different directions. Just two considerations for us here today as believers in 21st century America. Number one, I don't ever want you, I don't ever want you to let the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins become common to you. Don't let the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins become something common. There is nothing common about this shocking greatness of God's forgiveness. Instead of demanding the payment for our debt, God paid the debt off himself. As the hymn goes, I had a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt I, he did not owe. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Jesus Christ has canceled our record of debt that stood against us by, by nailing our loan documents, by taking that IOU and nailing it to the cross, as Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 2. Our IOU to God has been torn to shreds because Christ's body was torn to shreds in our place, in my place, in your place. Forgiveness is a gracious release from indebtedness to God. How can we ever think of it lightly or treat it lightly? How can we ever treat it as common or as if, Yep, God owed that to me. 
it should shock you and me anew every single day. And it goes to just how cold and dull our hearts can become. That every morning we, when we wake up, that we're not filled with awe. That Christ has forgiven my sins. Past, the sins I'm going to commit today that he already knows. The sins I'm going to commit in the future that he already knows. Are we lukewarm in our commitment to God because we have a very small sense of the huge debt we have been forgiven? Have we fallen from our first love and so our lack of love towards God reveals that we've lost sight of the greatness of his forgiveness? Or perhaps... We've not been forgiven at all because we don't think we need forgiveness because we're not all that bad. Matthew Henry writes, quote, The more we express our sorrow for sin and our love to Christ, the clearer evidence we have of the forgiveness of our sins. Knowing how much we have been forgiven leads to demonstrating in action, in emotion, in expression, we recognize how much we have been truly forgiven of our sins. The way you treated that person in middle school or high school, the way you treated that person at church, the way that person treated you, that bitterness that you've harbored, that, that grudge you've held on to for so long, and Christ has been forgiven. The greed, the lustful thoughts, the envy, the jealousy, the covetousness, the fear, the doubts, the anger, the hatred, all forgiven. All forgiven. Second, it's easy for us who have not struggled with outwardly notorious sins to be judgmental towards those who have. I'll say that again. It is easy for us who have not struggled with outwardly notorious sins to be judgmental towards those who have. Simon was concerned about the reputation of the woman rather than the woman herself. He saw her sins only, and therefore that made her unforgivable. Here is somebody who, who knows how many men she has slept with. Maybe even women. She can't be forgiven. That's such a heinous sin. What would we do? What would we do here at Trinity if somebody who was blatantly homosexual, who obviously transgender, or somebody who appeared to have lived a, a life of drug addiction or a loose lifestyle, what would we do if they came into our midst here on a Sunday morning and claimed to have received Christ, and was desperate to find a church to worship Him, to worship Him out of love and gratitude because they've come to Christ, and they know that their sins, as heinous as they are, their reputation may precede them. They have been forgiven. Would we be like Simon and see their reputation rather than seeing them as a person like Jesus did? My prayer is that we would welcome them, understanding that God's forgiveness is shockingly great and recognizing that just like that hypothetical person, you and I have been forgiven much. 
even if we've never been as notorious as their reputation before conversion. I mean, just think about the people that God has forgiven in Scripture for us. David, a murderer and an adulterer. Noah, a drunk. Jacob, a liar and a deceiver. Paul, a murderer on a vast scale. And here was a woman who was a prostitute. Immoral as all get out. And Christ forgave her. He forgave her. He's forgiven you and me. I've said this before, but let me say it again. There is no sin beyond the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus except the sin of a person remaining hardened in their unbelief. For all who repent and turn from their sin, no matter how heinous or grievous or aggravated that sin may be, there is forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. It is easy for us who have not struggled with that. I've never struggled with drug addiction or lived a, a, an immoral or, or loose lifestyle even before I was saved. But I tell you what, I was full of anger. I was full of hatred. I was full of rebellion against my parents. If I had been living in the Old Testament, I should have been stoned to death. Yet Jesus died for me to release me from my debts. Matthew Henry says, quote, Instead of grudging greater sinners the mercy they find in Christ upon their repentance, we should be stirred up by their example to examine ourselves whether we be indeed forgiven and do love Christ, end quote. It's shocking that God would forgive us so greatly. It's shocking that God would forgive sinners at all. And yet that is the depth of his love, his grace, his mercy, and his wisdom. Let us demonstrate our love for Christ greatly, knowing that he has forgiven you and me greatly. And as much as we may hate earthly debt, let us hate our spiritual debt even more and be all the more thankful and loving as we continue to recognize each and every day just how shockingly great God's forgiveness is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray.